If you like the Maniac on the Loose Scary Stories podcast, please subscribe on whatever platform you listen on. Feel free to leave a nice review, too, if you like. And don't be shy about letting other people know about the show. All of these things help us out a ton, and we appreciate it very much. Now let's get to some scary stories. If you like scary stories, you've come to the right place. Welcome to the Maniac on the Loose Scary Stories Podcast. (laughs) Sit back and relax. Keep your arms and legs inside the vehicle at all times and enjoy the ride. The Professional I was clipping the bushes around my house when they came. They, whoever they are, some branch of the dark government that could likely be traced to the CIA. Smiley emerged from the limo, dapper as always, donning a pinstripe suit and fedora. His face was round, chubby as his body, and it always held a grin, no matter how despicable the task he was handing out. He got right to the point. Hello, Sonny. I got a job for you. I'm retired. We need you one last time, Sonny. I said I'm retired. Smiley pulled out a thick envelope and tossed it to me. I peeked at the bundle of cash within. Triple your normal fee to entice you to come out of retirement for one more job. I eyed him suspiciously. They knew I was retired. I was done with the business. In my prime, I was one of the best killers for hire in history. Even as I aged, I remained the best. Even with my high fee, I was constantly in demand because I always got the job done. Most importantly, to my clients, I never asked questions. They gave me the information and my full fee up front, and I proceeded, no questions asked. I had been enjoying retirement. Smiley could tell by my expression that I was not pleased with being bothered, but he persisted. I need you, Sonny. You're the best. I was the best. Now I'm just a 69-year-old man who pulls muscles if I blink too hard. You should hire Jacoby or Willis. I'm sure they can pull off whatever you need, and they're a lot cheaper than me. We hired Willis first. He got wasted. I was surprised by this. Willis was young and a bit reckless, but efficient. Then Jacoby. He's probably the best now that I'm retired. Hell, I trained him. He's dead, too. I finally set my clippers down and gave Smiley my full attention. Jacoby was one of the best professional killers in the world. He was my protege. He took over when I retired. It was hard to believe someone got the drop on him. Just this once. Understand? Smiley handed me a manila envelope. All the info you need is in there. 
Welcome back. A week later, I found myself sitting on a bench outside a small bakery in the heart of a small town. I held a newspaper up, giving the impression that I was engrossed in the daily news. In reality, I was looking at a photo of the mark. This case was unusual. To say I was shocked to see the mark who took out Jacoby and Willis, two of the most dangerous men on the face of the earth, was an understatement. The mark was a six-year-old girl named Ruby. In the photo they provided, she was holding a stuffed bear. Her hair was tied in pigtails. She had baby fat cheeks and held an innocent smile. But there was something mysterious about her dark eyes. Ruby had been spotted near the area and just so happened to have an uncle who lived on the outskirts of town. She was with him, no doubt. But of course he wasn't staying at his house. That would be too easy. No, they were hiding out somewhere close. The uncle's name was Felix. Not much stood out about his profile. He worked for a lawn service and led an extremely average life. But it did mention that he had a sweet tooth, and his weakness was fudge. Across the street from the bakery was a candy store that specialized in homemade fudge. It was only a matter of time before the uncle stopped by to get some. I had staked out the place for two days without any luck. He arrived on day three. He was in the store for no more than five minutes and exited with a bag. I tailed him from there. I followed behind him, but kept a respectable distance. He drove out to the heavily wooded area and turned down a dark driveway that disappeared into the distance. I parked my vehicle half a mile down the road. The driveway likely had motion sensors to alert them if anyone was coming, so I trekked through the woods until I came upon the house. It was a large Victorian house that seemed out of place in the middle of a forest. It was lime green in color with a well-manicured yard, probably a client of the lawn service Felix worked for. He likely had info that the owners of the house were out of town and thought it a safe place to hide out temporarily. I sat and observed for hours. No dogs present. No other people milling about. All was quiet. I was confident that it was only the uncle and the little girl inside, so I made my move. It was easy to get into the house through a first floor window that was unlocked. Once inside, I could hear the man speaking. I followed his voice to the living room and stepped in with my gun drawn. The television was on. Felix was sitting on the sofa with his back to me, enjoying an episode of The Andy Griffith Show. Ruby was sitting in a chair across the room. She saw me as I entered, and I pointed the gun at her head. She smiled innocently at me, just before I pulled the trigger. One of the stipulations for this particular job was to confirm Ruby's death by allowing Smiley to view the body. I met up with Smiley at a designated location, which was a large abandoned factory. Smiley was flanked by two of his guards and began entering the factory when I held an arm out and stopped him. There's a six-year-old girl's dead body in there. I don't want your thugs parading around her. Just you. 
Come in, confirm the death, and let me get on with my retirement. Smiley was understanding. He held up his hand, indicating for his guards to wait outside, and I led him into the factory to a cheap pine box I had placed Ruby's body within. He stood by the box and waited patiently for me to open it. When I did, he looked down at the six-year-old girl. He held his trademark smile, but his brow crinkled as he was likely confused as to why he saw no bullet holes in the body. For the first time ever, I witnessed Smiley's grin disappear as Ruby reached up and grabbed his hand. When I entered the living room of the Victorian house that Ruby and her uncle were hiding out in, I didn't hesitate to pull the trigger, and my aim was spot on as it always was. The bullet simply didn't make it to its target. It stopped in mid-air three feet from Ruby's face and then fell harmlessly to the floor. Ruby held an innocent smile and made a quick motion with her hand. In an instant, I found myself suspended in the air. I was looking down on the living room. I could feel my back pressing against the ceiling. Then I felt my airways tightening as if an invisible boa constrictor were wrapping around my throat. My gun fell from my hand and I began pawing at my throat when I heard Felix yell out, He dropped the gun, Ruby. It's safe. Show him. Apparently, with the threat of my pistol removed from the equation, Ruby changed tactics and I found myself catapulting toward her. Just before reaching her, I came to a halt and Ruby grabbed my hand. In an instant, I witnessed everything I had ever done wrong in my life. I experienced all of the negative emotions others had felt due to my actions. The pain, the anger, the fear, the sadness, the disappointment, and so much more. It cascaded over me like a dark waterfall. I was staring my own evil in the face. I was shown the light and made aware that I was not too late to discard my evil and become a purely good person. I was given a glimpse of the paradise the world could be with no malevolence. It was now clear to me why they wanted the girl dead. The world is ruled by powerful people who have wrapped themselves in a blanket of evil. They know the influence that she possesses. Those in power are aware that if they were to be touched by the girl, they would see the light, and their powerful, tyrannical positions would be rendered meaningless. They fear losing their power. That is the extent of the evil that we are dealing with. The key is to get them to hold Ruby's hand, to see the error of their ways, to witness what can be, and to shed their evil side. Easier said than done. Most people practically worship the evildoers, believing their lies and trusting that all they do is for the good of the world, when in reality the opposite is true. People tend to believe what they are told. They won't be able to break free from the grasp of the evil until they take the girl's hand and see the light. Smiley is the key. He's not high on the totem pole, but he's the key to the door. 
All we have to do is get inside. Then, good triumphs and evil dissolves. If you like scary stories and you want to support the show, buy some of my books. I have a whole slew of them, and most of them are just 99 cents. Go to maniacontheloose.com slash books. Again, this is a great way to support the show. That's maniacontheloose.com slash books. Detour. I had spent the weekend at my parents' house. They live about two hours from me. The previous night, a violent storm had passed through. I had decided to take the back roads route home to observe some of the damage. There were downed trees and debris all over the place. I found myself at a four-way stop sign. I had come to a complete stop and started to press the gas to drive through the intersection when I noticed a red Mustang convertible coming quickly toward the stop sign to my left. He was flying. I hit my brakes in fear that the Mustang was not going to stop and sure enough, it did not. The convertible roared through the intersection, jammed on the brakes, did a 180 spin and peeled out zooming off in the direction I was headed. I laid on the horn with all my might. The driver, a man with long, wavy, blonde hair and wearing mirrored sunglasses, responded by giving me the finger. I yelled out several expletives, but he raced away too fast to have heard them. I was seething and took several deep breaths in an attempt to calm myself. The back roads were quiet on this day. I guess not many people wanted to be out and about so soon after that nasty storm. That line of thinking was wise. There was a lot of flooding in addition to the messy mix of branches, foliage, and garbage scattered about. As I approached a sharp bend in the road, I saw flashing blue lights of a police car ahead. As I got closer, I realized he was blocking the road. The police car was unusually old and weathered. It had to be late 1970s or early 80s. I pulled to a stop next to the police car and rolled down my window. I commented on the age of his car. His reply was, They don't make them like they used to. I told him I didn't think the police stations allowed vehicles that old. He said, You'd be surprised what we can get away with in a small town. He informed me that the road ahead was blocked by a large tree that had fallen during the storm and that I needed to take a detour to bypass the road. He pointed down the road he was parked by and instructed me to take a right on the very first road I came to. He said after about 10 minutes it would come out on the other side of the fallen tree. The first road was narrow. I was hoping that I didn't meet another car coming my way because I wasn't sure we'd both be able to fit on the road. After a mile and a half, I came to a small dirt road on the right. I questioned whether this was the road the officer had directed me to turn on due to its rustic nature. I peered ahead and saw no signs of any other roads in the distance, so I assumed this had to be it. 
It seemed like more of a driveway than a road. It was lined heavily by thick trees. I was driving down it for a good 15 minutes when I noticed steam emanating from under the hood of my car. I looked down at my heat gauge and it was in the red. My car was overheating. I pulled to the side of the road as much as I could and shut my car off. It had been running hot for the past week and I had meant to have it taken in and looked at but kept putting it off. I guess I got what I deserved. I wasn't sure how much further this road went. My plan was to wait about 30 minutes to let my car cool off and then I'd make some decisions as to whether to continue to go forward or turn around. While waiting for the engine to cool, I decided to walk a little ways up the road to see if I could get any idea how much farther I needed to go. That's when I saw the old farmhouse. It was a two-story white house with cracked paint and dark green shutters that matched the tile on the roof. Behind the house was a massive barn. Since I had time to kill, I decided to stop at the house. They could probably inform me as to how much further it was until the road ended. As I got closer to the farmhouse, I realized that the road dead-ended at a vast dirt field next to the house. This wasn't a road. It was a driveway, just as I initially suspected. The real road I was supposed to turn down must have been a little further. At least I knew where I needed to go, and I turned and headed back toward my car. As I walked, I peered over at the enormous red barn and stopped when I noticed a red Mustang convertible parked just inside the barn entrance. It was clearly the car that almost hit me earlier. Did that jerk live here? I was still so pissed about that incident that I marched through the yard to the barn in hopes of finding that blonde-haired jackass to give him a piece of my mind. I was a little surprised when I reached the barn to see that the Mustang was up on cinder blocks. All four of the tires had been removed. As I got closer, I noticed a large red splat on the driver's seat. My initial thought was that it looked like blood. I startled when I heard the loud scream of an electric saw grinding against metal. I looked toward the sound and could see sparks spewing in the air at the other end of the barn. That's when I realized that this gigantic barn was filled with a variety of at least 50 different vehicles. The majority of them had been stripped down. It seemed obvious to me that this was some sort of chop shop with these vehicles being disassembled and sold for parts. Then my mind went back to the red splat on the Mustang. Why was there blood on the seat? Did they kidnap the blonde man or possibly kill him? I needed to get out of there. As I turned to spring back to my car, I saw two men approaching the barn entrance. One of the men was wearing coveralls. The other wore a nice suit and tie. They were both looking down at a legal pad and discussing something so they didn't see me. I stepped into the barn and ducked behind one of the vehicles. The two men stopped on the other side of the car and started having a conversation. That blonde guy was AB negative. He'll bring in a pretty penny. I think we have enough for today. Call Bobby and tell him to come on in. AB negative? They were talking about blood type. Cars weren't the only thing they were chopping up. 
For the next 20 minutes, I stayed hidden as a mishmash of various workers came in and out of the barn. My stomach dropped when the weathered old police car that had blocked the road pulled up to the barn and the officer got out. He was greeted by the man in the suit. Nice job, Bobby. We had a good haul today. I recognized the next voice as the police officer. What's with the car down the drive? He was talking about my car. They were going to realize that I wasn't there and start searching for me. And by the way, my blood type is A positive. Not as rare as AB negative, but I bet they'd be happy as clams to find that out. I was done for. All they had to do was start looking around the barn and they'd find me in a few minutes. My body filled with a touch of hope when I heard one of the men brush off the existence of my car being down the driveway. I don't know. I'll send one of the boys to pick it up in a few minutes. Lucky for me, he didn't seem too concerned. I listened on as the subject quickly turned to hearts, livers, brains, and transmissions. I could hear their shoes thud against the concrete floor of the barn as they began walking away. I stayed hidden until their voices trailed off to silence. I then carefully popped my head up and took a quick gaze around. The coast was clear. I made a mad dash for my car, got in, started it up, and drove away. I remember I kept looking in the rearview mirror as I drove back down the dirt driveway expecting to see numerous vehicles giving chase. But the driveway remained clear and I was able to slip away. By the time I reached the next town, my car was overheated and died just as I pulled into the police station. I spilled my guts to the police chief. I couldn't quite read his expression as the bizarre story spilled from my mouth. He seemed either confused or bored. When I finally finished telling him everything, he took in a deep breath, stood up, picked up a baton from his desk, and clobbered me over the head. I woke up handcuffed to a jail cell with a headache and a pain in my arm. I looked down to see a syringe mark in my forearm and heard the police chief speaking on the phone from a nearby room. Bobby? I got someone here I think you might be interested in. He appears healthy, should supply a fair amount of organs, and he's A-positive. The Last Man on Earth It has been a month since the human population was wiped out. The disease was fast-moving and deadly. It was an airborne disease, and once in the air, it remained there and multiplied. In only a few days, all oxygen on Earth was toxic for humans. They were all dead in less than a week. I'm all alone now. I found a nice home in a small town. The town's water company is solar-powered, so tap water will be available for some time. Of course, I have access to every grocery store in the world and have plenty of bottled water to last the rest of my days. Food as well. 
Animals were not affected by the disease. There will be no shortage of cows, pigs, deer, you name it. If I opt to become a hunter, it won't be difficult to obtain fresh meat. I now own every gun in the world, so that would be easy enough. And my father was a hunter, so I have a rudimentary knowledge of how to clean a carcass. I'm a decent fisherman as well, and there's a flowing river not a block away. I also planted a nice garden, which is flourishing. So yeah, food and drink aren't a problem. As for entertainment, I've always been a bookworm. The world is now my library, and I love tending to my garden. Of course, I'll lack human companionship, but that's okay. I've always been a loner, and I've already taken in two dogs and a cat, so I have plenty of company. All in all, I don't think it will be too bad. I worked in a disease control center before this happened. The disease was man-made. I had been tasked with creating a vaccine. I was quite confident that I had come up with something that would work. When the disease leaked out, I had to test the vaccine on myself. I'm still alive, so apparently it works well. I had settled into my new life and have to admit that I was enjoying it. I was no longer just a cog in the wheel of society. I wasn't controlled by the command of others. I didn't have to hand over my hard-earned money to political thieves under threat of force. Nobody ruled over me. I could do what I wanted, when I wanted. Nothing was holding me back. I was king of the world. And then she arrived. I was outside clipping weeds in my garden when I heard her soft, dainty voice call out, Hello? I nearly jumped out of my skin. I never expected to hear another human voice again. And she was beautiful. Wavy blonde hair, a voluptuous body, striking blue eyes, and a sparkling smile. Tears of joy streamed down her face when she saw me. It was clear that she did not expect to ever see another living person again either. She ran toward me with open arms and I met her with a long, passionate embrace. It did feel good to experience the warmth of a woman's body against mine once again. I could feel our hug nearing its end. That is when I sunk my garden clippers into her abdomen. I held her close as I stabbed her over and over. I didn't let her go until I felt her body slump in my arms. I didn't release the disease on the world to have to share the planet with another person. I wanted everything for myself. That was the whole damn point of it all. I couldn't let her live. Fear began to run through my body as I pondered the question, why was she alive? I was the only one who took the vaccine. What we had here was somebody who was naturally immune to the disease. Shivers went down my spine when I realized that if she was immune, there would surely be others as well. And if she found me, they would too. But I would be waiting for them. 
This is my world now. We hope you enjoyed the show. We're dying for you to come back for more. <laughs> Visit ManiacOnTheLoose.com Sign up for our newsletter and I'll give you some free stuff. We'll see you soon. Very soon. Hey everyone, if you're enjoying the Maniac on the Loose Scary Stories podcast, we hope you'll support the show. The show is a lot of work and your support is greatly appreciated. There are several ways you can support the show. Just go to ManiacOnTheLoose.com slash support. That's ManiacOnTheLoose.com slash support. Thank you so much.